Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of Inside Compliance. My name is Eric Moorhead. As always, I'm your uh, intrepid host. And as always, if you have questions, comments, suggestions that you'd like to impart to us, please feel free to reach out and certainly please do subscribe to the podcast. Initially, I had recorded a intro to an interview that I'm going to play for you here in just a few minutes between Adam Turtletob from SCCE and myself, talking about the impending SCCE Compliance and Ethics Institute in Las Vegas. Subsequent to me recording the introduction, the events in Las Vegas, the tragic events in Las Vegas have unfolded. So I felt that it was probably important for me to acknowledge that when talking about going to SCCE as Adam and I do in this conversation that you're going to hear that happened a couple weeks ago. But I didn't want to not acknowledge the fact that circumstances have changed for a lot of people. Um, Roy Snell delivered a message to many people in the community about the event, about both moving forward with the event in the best possible spirit, but also acknowledging very I think appropriately and and only the way someone with Roy's uh, gravitas can do about such an event. Not to be too maudlin about this, but it is significant and I think it's worth acknowledging. I will, of course, still be going, as I'm sure many of the people who had originally planned to go will be. We are still going to talk about compliance and ethics, and we are still going to have some solidarity amongst profession there. But it is going to be slightly different, I'm sure, and it will all be not only on our minds, but obviously on the minds of many, many other Americans and people around the world. Just felt it was necessary to acknowledge that. If you are going to be joining us, and I hope you are, I'll be speaking twice, both on Sunday and Tuesday. Sunday, I'm going to be a session on culture with Steve Morang. It's uh, session P12, if you're interested. And then on Tuesday, I'll be doing a session with the incomparable Kathleen Grilly, who's the general counsel of this U.S. Sentencing Commission on the Sentencing Guidelines, Past, Present, and Future, if you'd like to check that out on Tuesday afternoon. And then the last thing that I wanted to say is about a day ago, I was looking through some materials, and I often catch up with the online newsletter for Harvard Business School. They have some great articles there. It's uh, called Working Knowledge. So if you Google Working Knowledge in Harvard Business School, you'll come up with it. That's a great newsletter. It comes out pretty frequently. There was just today released a interview with Nancy Cohn, who's written a new book called Forged in Crisis, which, which looks at leaders going through crisis events including Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, amongst others. There's a interview with the author where they talk a little bit about what, what some of the commonalities amongst these leaders moving through crisis. And I think it's uh, particularly interesting, not only given recent events and what's on my mind right now, but also the role that people with the responsibility for compliance and ethics in an organization have to think about pretty regularly when there's an event. And these things come out of left field. They may not be as significant as some events are more significant than others, certainly. But there are the unexpected and managing through crisis is, I think, integral to the role of compliance. 
You know, we're going to we're confronted with those issues in compliance. And the question was, you know, what was a defining consistent feature with a lot of these leaders that went through significant crisis moments. And the author came up with this concept of right action, the notion that even when things are going really wrong, when you're vulnerable or confused or there's doubt, that you keep the mission in mind, that you uh, focus on what she literally calls the goodness of what you're trying to do, and that allows you to move forward. And what I like about this, and what I like about moving forward, I, what I like about action, right action, what I like about mission, is it's propelling you towards the goal. You're not staying where you are or, or being shut down by the conflict. The conflict's still there. The issues still need to, to be untangled and resolved if possible. doesn't make it easy. doesn't make it go away. But I like the idea of right action. And I think the right action for most of us who are planning to go to Las Vegas anyway is to continue to keep that in mind and try to make the process as successful as possible. And it's a small thing. I mean, I recognize it's a small thing in the scheme of what's going on in the world right now. But it just it just struck me, and I felt like what I had to say before was not nearly as important. And quite frankly, what Adam and I will be talking about here in a second covers that excitement and the interest in the event better than I did on my own anyway. So I just wanted to say that. I wanted to acknowledge what's happened. It's very fresh right now when I'm recording this but still move forward with right action, not only, again, in these small things like attending events, but in all of our professional activities and in our lives. So please, as always, let me know if you have questions, anything that you'd like us to cover in the future, please subscribe to the podcast and please take a listen to Adam and I talking about the upcoming event. Thanks. Now that we're headed into fall, it means a couple of different things. One of those is leaves will start to change if you're in a part of the country where it isn't still 80 degrees like here in Texas. But also it means that the Society for Corporate Compliance and Ethics will be having the Compliance and Ethics Institute in the not-too-distant future. And in fact, it's going to be on October 15th through the 17th in Las Vegas, Nevada at Caesars Palace. And I am very pleased to have Adam Turtletop, who's the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and International Programs with SCCE and Healthcare Compliance Association with me today. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Eric. And I hate to start this way, but I have to begin with a correction. It goes to October 18th. And I forgot the post-conference activities, including, I'm, I'm guessing, probably the, the exam for CCEP as well. Yes, that'll be there too. So right. I think I've pretty much given the most important information I have. So all <laughs> downhill from here. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I find that, that is fun, though, about CEI is that you guys keep it interesting. And the way that the event is structured, the different tracks and the different topics that people can go to and attend is pretty unique amongst, at least amongst some of the other comparable compliance uh, conferences that are out there. What are some new things that we ought to be looking, for those of us that are going to be attending Las Vegas, that we ought to be looking forward to this year? What are some changes and some new things? Yeah. You know- I think the one new thing that people don't realize is how much the speakers change year to year. I think we've looked in the past and it's generally only about 30% of the people on the agenda this year were on the agenda last year. So because of that, there's a great change in the perspectives that you hear on an ongoing basis. 
And since we start from scratch in terms of the agenda every year, there's always new topics really reflecting what's going on now in the world of compliance and ethics versus a year ago or, you know, 10 years ago if, you know, if the meeting were really stale. So what we try and do is really tap into what's hot, whether it's, you know, some issues stay like FCPA, though what the issues are changes, mm-hmm. you know, things like modern slavery has become a new issue that we addressed, I think, for the first time last year. And we'll continue to do so doing that. And then I think looking to the general sessions, that's the chance, you know, with the keynote speeches to really get into looking at new issues and design to be a bit more provocative. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got two there that, you know, I'd start by calling out in terms of looking to where things are going and how to change thinking is one, we've got Eugene Soltis, who's a professor at Harvard Business School talking about his book, Why They Do It Inside the Mind of the White Collar Criminal, where Mm -hmm. he's spoken to over 50 white collar criminals and really got to know them well and help understand what the thinking is that leads to the problems there. We also have a woman named Liz Weissman, who is a best-selling author who talks about what she calls the multiplier effect, which is getting multiplying your impact within an organization, which you know is really critical for anyone in compliance because ultimately we're not the ones making the decisions of you know making decisions that cause the problems it's employees and you got to multiply your vision for that and then finally one other session that i think really is forward looking though you know what's amazing is it's become incredibly current lately is mark lannerman who's an expert in information security and and digital forensics is going to be talking about not ending up another fish in the dark net out there. I've seen him speak before and you can sort of smell the fear in the room as you, <laughs> as he talks, you know, as he does everything from show people what's available on the dark net to how much stuff that organizations swear is private and well secured and protected that he can just pull up on his laptop in front of a room. And after the latest high profile breach, it's one of those things that really is dramatically clear now that companies don't necessarily have as good a handle as they think they do on what's safe and protected and what isn't. And then finally, I should mention one last one of our general sessions is Marjorie Doyle. I don't want to say that we're only looking at the future. I mean, Marjorie's sharing, but not only what she sees happening, but also, you know, the wealth of her experience from mm-hmm. such a long career in compliance. I think all of the topics you mentioned, you know, certainly data security and, and, and even understanding the mind, if you will, of somebody who commits misconduct, which is very interesting. The thing that I think a lot, those topics and a lot of the other topics that are on the agenda year in, year out, and I, I'm, it's not just me saying this, I've heard other attendees say this too, is sort of the practical application, if you will. I think it's important for us to be kind of high-minded sometimes and talk about ethical culture and, and sort of the big picture items on, their, on the agenda of a compliance and ethics officer. But I think when people go to an event and they're looking at trying to improve conditions on the ground when they get back to wherever they're wherever they have responsibility, having practical practical insights is really helpful. And that's what I try to keep in mind whenever I speak to is to try to keep it practical. I'm curious how, because you've been involved in planning not only CEI, but a lot of other events. How important is that practicality aspect when you guys are considering an agenda and speakers and topics? 
It's huge. And I, you know, I, I have to say it comes from two things. One is I sort of chuckle when I see agendas for meetings where everything's sort of pie in the sky and philosophical because day to day a compliance officer's got a real job and you have to deal with the practicality. And I think if you look at the sessions, you know, you talked about all the tracks we have on it in the program, they're all designed to be, you know, eminently practical for all the breakouts during the day, whether it's looking at case studies, focusing in on the challenges of international, multinational corporations, looking at just compliance in the IT area itself. And then, you know, the advanced discussion groups are basically designed so that there's no leader, there's a leader, but there's no deck and long presentation by them, but people talking through the issues. It's very much what our focus is day to day. And even one of our our newest initiatives for the meetings, we have a full pre-conference workshop on professional skills development. We're really, which is something new this year, we really want to give people the tools that they need so that when they leave on Wednesday evening and head back to work later that week, that they've got tools that they're hanging from their belt that they can put to work right away. So you bring back more than the calories you ingested in giant chocolate chip cookies at the meeting. You've (laughs) also got something real there. No, no, no. I, I think that's definitely true. And, and and it's consistent with even somewhat smaller, but I think important things that you guys have done for years, like the free headshots. It's different in how in the approach than, you know, and I come from a legal background. So the events that I went to before I started attending SCCE and some other compliance conferences were all focused towards either in-house or, or outside counsel. And none of that happens there. There's there's no I mean there is some occasional focus on on professional development for the for the individual professional, but it's nothing compared to what I see available for compliance officers at, at, at your programs. And I think that's an a, that's an important distinction. I, at least coming from a legal background, that's an important dis- distinction. Yeah. Now I, I think it's it's a real one. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. One other thing, one other aspect of CEI that I do want to mention is it is the 16th annual Compliance and Ethics Institute. The organization itself, although it's not as old as its sister organization, the Healthcare Compliance Officers Association, has been quite successful. I, I think it's it's fair to say you guys have been successful growing over the over the long haul over the last you know, 16, 17 years, but also particularly in the last few years. You also are clearly not the only compliance-focused membership organization out there. You have been intimately involved. In fact, your title used to involve membership. I guess it doesn't anymore, but I, I know that that used to be part of your writ. Why do you think your organization, SEC, has been as successful as it, as it has? How have you distinguished yourself in a way to, to make that so? Well, I think there's two things. One is the stuff we can't take credit for, which is the market is growing at a huge rate. I mean, the number of compliance people there are around the world is just growing dramatically. And what's been interesting to see is I go to our programs, both in the U.S. and around the world, is seeing the spread of compliance. It's no longer the realm of just large, well, you know, you tend to think of compliance Originally, as large U.S.-based companies, then it was large global companies. Now we're seeing small and medium-sized companies that might operate in just a few countries or even their home country, but they're parts of global supply chains. And because of that, there's the expectations that they need to have a compliance program from the people that they're selling to. And we're seeing that people, once they start this, are embracing them. 
and compliance professionals have real need. In terms of our success, I think a lot of it really is driven by the fact that we've been committed to meeting that need, both in terms of things like annual conferences that serve a lot of people different, you know, by providing a lot of different topics where people can find an agenda that will fill their four days successfully, but also being there for them. I mean, it's been amazing seeing the growth of the academies. You know, we did our first one back in 2008, right after I joined, and there were all of 17 people there, but we stuck through it. And, you know, that one was in Zurich. Now our European academies are full, if not close to it. And we've got two of them a year. Just We did Amsterdam earlier this year. And as you and I are recording this, uh, Spain is coming up next week. But you know we've expanded now, so we've had one in Singapore, a Dubai Academy. We've been running them in Sao Paulo for years, and they've sold out so consistently that we're now adding one this year for the first time in Rio, also. And you know it's really the commitment to being there and being as inclusive as possible, and trying to have programs available for everyone out there. And I think one of the other things that's been helpful is certification. You know, when you look at all the other professions out there, credential is very integral to them. You know, some it's like a you know, law where there's a law degree, but in other areas, whether it's internal audit, fraud, health, HR, certifications was the norm. And the decision, you know, years ago, long before I joined the association to create a certification for compliance officers is important because it demonstrates that the person who has the job knows what she or he is talking about. And outside the United States, often a professional certification is considered as valuable as if not more than a university degree. So people are really valuing that and it's proven to be you know, a big draw and a demonstration that compliance is a legitimate profession, especially important because it didn't used to exist that many years ago. Well, and also I think, you know, I kind of kind of wish Roy was here because this is one of his favorite subjects. I think it also allows the profession to be distinguished from a legal job in, in a right. way that you really couldn't do before there was a certification. I mean, you could, and, and, I, and people were doing this job, but there was still this, ex, this odd expectation, even from the government. And I've talked about this before. The Department of Justice was at least of two minds, if not more than two minds in the past about who they felt should ultimately be responsible for compliance. Back when I was working at the Sentencing Commission, they were not sure. I think they, I think the the question's not settled. We're still going to have, we're still going to need Roy out there, <laughs> keeping up his end of the of the argument that this is not a legal, this should not be a legal position. But, but it's different. The, but, but it's much different than it was five years ago, for sure. Yeah, and you know, I think there's a growing realization that yes, it absolutely starts with what the law requires, but you know, so does getting a driver's license, the first thing you have to do is take a written test on what the law requires, but no one expects a lawyer to ride along with you telling you exactly where to start and stop. You know, and and most of the job and for compliance, it's communications and it's persuasion skills and it's systems design and things like that, which are not about the law. Now, a lawyer can certainly do all those things and there's, you know, a ton of really great compliance officers that are lawyers. But I think if you ask them, they tell you very little of the job revolves around the practice of the law. It's really about human behavior. Yes. And 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 also, I, I think that the other big component that I've seen compliance officers that are tremendously successful that they've had is practical 
experience with the organization. And, you know, that's true that you can have a lawyer that's been with the organization as an assistant general counsel or, or the general counsel in a small enough organization that understands the operations and the actual the nitty gritty of how, how that organization works and what the business is all about. But, you know, lawyers, like a lot of professionals, tend to be transient. And, you know, you can't discount institutional knowledge and practical experience with business that you're trying to monitor as the compliance officer. And that's another thing that I think, um, like for instance, a perfect example is I know of a couple of really, really excellent top-notch compliance officers that are engineers by training that came up through the ranks of the, you know, their engineering or consulting business and therefore are subject matter experts um, on a lot of different aspects of the operations of the business too. And that's important to know. No, it's very important. I mean, you know, you can't affect a business that you, if you don't understand it and likewise a culture if you don't understand it. And not, you know, to do my last lawyer knock of the of the podcast, perhaps, I feel justified in, in some of these. And this one in particular, sometimes lawyers are not not the best at coming forward and acknowledging that they don't understand or know something. And so so that can that can be a particularly a double whammy if you have somebody who does who's come from the outside, uh, has a legal background and maybe very talented but doesn't have a lot of exposure to the culture and the business operations of that organization. And sometimes people from that background may have some difficulty saying, look, I just don't understand. Please explain again. And that's sometimes the hardest thing for a lawyer to do is to acknowledge that they don't understand something and that they need some help because yeah, well, they're not used to All that. I can say is, yeah, I didn't go to law school and I have two children, so I'm used to being told I don't understand anything. It's not unique. <laughs> One other thing that I did want to talk about with regards to CEI, and it happens at other events too, but this is something that I've noticed at CEI over the years. And when last year was my first year as an exhibitor, and I'll be exhibiting again, a little plug for, for more head cons- compliance consulting for those of you to come by our booth, booth 700, if you're in Vegas. But some of the things you hear in the exhibit hall and in the hallways, kind of, it's, it's a good short list of the things that are probably on the minds of a lot of compliance officers and people in the field. Uh, there's one topic in particular that I did want to ask you about because you just wrote about it recently, and that's uh, the continuing concern that we see, uh, certainly interest, if not rising to the level of concern that many people have about compliance officers having personal liability. And as I said, you just wrote about this recently. Kind of curious. I, I think this is going to be a topic that's going to be discussed in the hallways and, and amongst people. Uh, it has been for a while, but but I'm just kind of curious of your two cents on that and and some other issues that we might be hearing people talk about in the hallways this year. Yeah, it's definitely a, a vexing issue and it's one that is keeping people awake, I think, at night, partially because we keep seeing headlines about compliance officer arrested, indicted, convicted, yeah. whatever. The hard part is when you look at the headline and then you look at the story, and sometimes you got to go a little bit beyond the story, you realize that it's not often what it seems. In fact, it rarely is. For mm-hmm. one, it typically focuses on the securities industry. Yes. And as huge as that business is, that's not the corporate compliant world. And they've got a different set of obligations, including certain statutory obligations. And they have an opportunity to run afoul of them that a regular corporate compliance officer, as you you and I and the listeners know, don't have that situation. Often they're complicit in it, in, in the wrongdoing. It's not like they said, don't do it. They were unable to affect things. They were part and parcel in it. They weren't really compliance officers. They just 
the organization just gave someone that title because they had to put somebody's name on a form. You know, one of the more recent ones that we spotted was a story about a compliance officer. I think it got convicted. And even reading the story wasn't enough. You had to go look at the underlying things that the porter was sourcing to find out that the person who was billed as a compliance officer for the security firm it said it was part-time. Well, actually, he was a, a lawyer working outside whose job was filling out mandatory reporting forms mm-hmm. and wasn't doing them well at all by the story that was writing down data that the person who provided him for said was a guest and said check with someone else. and. According to the story, the person didn't actually do. So the data was fundamentally wrong. Well, I don't know too many compliance officers who that's what their job is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do think, you know, with all that said, this is never going to be an easy job. There's still always going to be the situation where compliance officers will see wrongdoing, try and affect it, can't, and then it gets to the point of do I stay or leave the organization? But the sort of risks that you read in the headlines versus the reality for your typical corporate compliance and ethics officer, there's just a huge gap there. And I think it's unfortunate that we're people are creating this distracting fear that's keeping people from doing their jobs and making it harder and dissuading good people from joining the profession. No, I, I totally agree. And I, I see the same sort of connection between what the real role of the individual is and their complicity in, in the underlying misconduct or covering up the misconduct, which is, as we all know, the cover-up is usually worse than the actual crime. crime. And the other good example of that that exhibited both of those factors was the VW case uh, earlier in the year. The gentleman who ended up, I believe he was charged, I know that they were looking at him, was an engineer who happened to have the job of sending some required information over to EPA and I believe California, state of California. And he had compliance in his title, but I think it was a real stretch, like in some of these other cases, to actually call him a compliance officer. This is one of his many roles, and it was not a role that he obviously took too much, didn't take too seriously until now. And then the, the second piece of that puzzle is he knew the information he was sending was not accurate. So. No, there's there's funny stories. There was one story about somebody who was, you know, who was again another compliance officer, you know, in trouble, and the person's job was processing checks. I mean, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of people who do that. You know, the hard part with compliance is look, there's there's a lot of corners to it. There's the whole OSHA compliance world. You know, again, that doesn't come up in our meetings. That's its own area of expertise, and you have to judge what the separations are. It's just too easy to scare people is the bottom line, and people react to these things. And it's unfortunate because there's enough other problems in this job on a day to day basis. You know, <laughs> you you're, you have to say no to people who don't like being told no. You've got to think through what the risks are. And there are huge risks out there in the world. You know, there's all the anti-corruption risks. There's the sanctions risks. There's the data privacy and protection risks. There's antitrust. There's a whole bunch of real issues there, not to mention the fact that it's hard for companies often to live up to their own values when there's business pressure to make a number. And that's a big job. And it's a shame when you get people distracted from doing that job. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. And and it's a balancing test. You know, you don't want to, to have people paranoid and not understand what the real risks are. I mean, after all, we're all supposed to be learning about risks and, and approaching our jobs in a risk-based manner. So understanding understanding risks and how to properly 
gauge your response is an important part of being a compliance officer officer these days anyway. But at the, by the same token, you're, you, I think you have to be, in your mind, you have to be ready to make a hard decision because the, there will come a time, it may not have happened yet, but there will come a time when we, we see compliance officers facing consequences when they didn't act when they should have. It's pretty clear given the way executives who have made those sorts of decisions have been held responsible. There's no there's no legal reason why a compliance officer making the decision not to, for example, to report to the board of directors when they are you know, completely aware of, a, of misconduct or a violation of the law, that they're going to be held to the same standard. I think that that's, you know, again, understanding the risk, knowing exactly where you have responsibility and what you need to do about it is, is key to it all. Yeah, and we can all speculate that there, you know, will be a time when someone who, you know, you, I, and the listeners consider a compliance officer like them gets in trouble. But right now, the gap between what's being reported and what the reality yeah. is is just enormous. Well, and not for nothing, I, I think it could be also a sign that the people that are assuming these roles are doing their job. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, a question has come up before, more more often it came up in my prior life when, when I was a outside lawyer working for organizations that were un, un, undergoing investigations internally or had other issues. But it's, if somebody, there's a lot of power in somebody saying no or saying, you really shouldn't do this. And I think that there's the assumption that, you know, business, pra- you know, business pressures and, and other factors will steamroll the better intentions of a compliance officer or anybody else that's putting up the stop sign. But I, you know, to, to kind of end on a positive note, I, I've seen plenty of occasions where uh, maybe something's happened, but once compliance or, or an in-house lawyer or somebody else got involved and said no, that was the end of it. And then that, and that's, you know, how we got involved from the outside is because they recognized they had a problem and they had to address it. So, so I think there's hope that one of the reasons why we haven't seen too many of our our comrades in trouble yet is because they're doing their job. That, and that may well be it. And, you know, truthfully, in terms of saying no and dimensionalizing it, somebody actually gave me a piece of good advice with a resource we already provide. For all of you who are on our mailing list, every year they get, we send out what we call our scalendar. It's our annual calendar that lists corporate scandal dates on it. And <laughs> it's always good for a laugh that it exists. And people honestly can use it as a way to find hooks for employee communications, being able to say, not don't do this, but hey, don't do this. And by the way, this is the six-year anniversary of so-and-so going to jail or this company paying that fine. But as somebody said, the other advantage of it is when you're in that situation where a manager says, well, I think you're wrong. I think we can do this to be able to point to the calendar and say, you may be right, but you may be here one day. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that shows, because in most of those organizations, somebody said, well, I think if we can make this work or we're not going to worry about that. And then they end up being on the long list. And by the way, for those who don't want it, if you go to the SCCE, who don't, I'm sorry, have the calendar, just go to the SCCE site, which is corporatecompliance.org, and you'll find it in the resources section of the website, I believe. And it's free to download. Yeah. And there's lots of other good stuff there too, for, for those of you who haven't visited before. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing a good portion of our, our listenership is, is familiar. And I'm, I'm hoping that a good portion of our listenership is uh, planning to 
uh, visit Las Vegas in October or, or go to some other SCCE event when they have the time and the opportunity to do so. But in the meantime, I, I guess I'll see you in, in about a month, uh, Adam. And uh, thanks so much yeah. for spending some time with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com. 